it down into his Wellingtons. Sorry, lads. You must be perished with the hunger. Una's breathless apology carried toward them on a bit of breeze. But you should have seen me. I was literally up to my elbows. Her voice trailed off when she saw the faces her brothers turned toward her. Brendan watched her fingers tighten their grip on the flask and on the sandwiches she'd wrapped hastily in paper as Una stepped to the edge of the bank beside Finton and looked down at their awful discovery. Ah, oh, Jesus, poor creature, was all that she could say. Cormac Maguire was in the shower when the call came. He let it ring, as he customarily did, until the answer phone came on. But hearing the excitement in Padder Wynne's voice, he hastily wrapped himself in a towel and sprinted down the stairs, hoping to catch Padder before he rang off. Cormac stood just over six feet, and though he'd begun to feel a few creaks during the passage of his thirty-ninth year, still possessed a rower's lean, muscular frame. His dark brown hair was cut short, intense dark eyes, a long, straight nose, and a square jaw defined his angular face. Padder was a technician in the archaeology department at University College Dublin, where Cormac was on the faculty. The cause of Padder's agitation was soon clear. Some farmers cutting turf had discovered a body yesterday in a raised bog near Loch Derg, in the southeast corner of County Galway, about two and a half hours west of Dublin. Although hundreds of bog bodies had turned up in Central Europe, mostly in Germany and Denmark, they were something of a rarity in Ireland. Fewer than fifty such discoveries had ever been made in Irish bogs, and they offered an unparalleled opportunity to gaze directly into the past. Peat bogs not only preserved skin, hair, and vital organs, but even subtle facial expressions, and often revealed what a person who drew his dying breath twenty centuries ago had taken for his last meal on earth. With Padder's voice seeping into his ear, Cormac crossed to the desk to put on his glasses, and culled from the flow of words the few that were pertinent to the matter at hand. Has Drummond been there? Malachy Drummond, the chief state pathologist, visited the scene of any suspicious death to decide whether it should be classified as a police matter. Drummond had been to the site this morning, Padder said, and upon examination of the remains, had declared it a case for the archaeologists rather than the police. Cormac paused to clear his throat before he broached the next subject. I presume somebody's informed Dr. Gavin. Nora Gavin was a lecturer in anatomy at Trinity College Medical School, an American with a particular interest in bog bodies. She's already been notified. Says she'll meet you there, Padder said. The trip would take at least two and a half hours, so Cormac fished with one hand in the glove box and brought out a tape of Jack Dolan a flute player of the old puff-and-blow Leitrim style. Cormac crossed over the Roscommon border at Athlone, noting the gradually shrinking proportions of the fields, the increasing narrowness of the roads, the first signs that he was well and truly in the west. At Ballinasloe, he turned off the main road and headed south toward Portumna, the town at the head of Loch Derg. To the west, the ground sloped gradually upward to the feathery pine forests that covered the Schlievati Mountains. To the east lay what remained of the ancient body of water that once covered the whole centre of Ireland. Farther down the lakeshore were the holiday resort towns of Mount Shannon and Scarif. But in this remote corner of Galway, there was only farmland and mountain overlooking small, hidden lakes and treeless stretches of bog.
As he approached the lakeshore, he began to see homemade signs posted along the road. At first, he thought they were to let notices or adverts of some kind. But as he drew near the first one, he read, No Bog License, and a bit farther on was one that said, No Bog Evictions. He wasn't surprised to see such sentiments expressed along the roadside. There had long been controversy about Ireland's use of peat, since it was an unrenewable resource. Irish bogs also provided a wildlife habitat unique in all of Europe, and there was increasing pressure from the EU to consider the environmental consequences of turf cutting. Cormac arrived at the site at a quarter past two. The sun was still fairly high overhead, barely veiled by a few wispy clouds. About fifty yards away, Cormac could see a small group of people, including Nora Gavin and a uniformed Garda officer. He stood for a moment at the roadside, squinting as he surveyed the horizon for some fixed point, a church steeple or radio tower, anything that would help him map out exactly where the body had been discovered. Nothing appeared. A short distance down the road, the door of an ancient-looking Toyota opened, and a squarish man in a brown leather jacket emerged. A slight protrusion of the man's midsection suggested a fondness for Porter, and the sunlight glinted off his silvery white hair. He seemed to have been waiting. Cormac lifted his jacket and sight kit out of the passenger seat and extended his hand as the man drew near. Cormac Maguire, the National Museum asked me to oversee the excavation. Ah, the archaeologist, said the man, taking the hand Cormac proffered and giving it a firm squeeze. Now that Cormac was closer, he could see the man's fresh pink countenance belied his hoary head. He was probably no more than forty-five. Detective Garrett Devaney, the man said. Dr. Gavin will be glad to see you. Said she had to wait for you to begin. Devaney spoke out of the corner of his mouth, as if every word were an aside, and his pale blue eyes darted slantwise under their lids, giving him a perpetual look of wry amusement. Then the policeman tipped his head across the bog, and they turned to make their way to the gathering. If you don't mind me asking, Cormac began, what's a detective still doing here all the way from Lochray? From Lochray, if this isn't reckoned to be one of your unsolved murders? Ah, well, we didn't know that for certain now, did we? There was some notion it might be a woman gone missing from nearby. I'm just here to clear up any questions on that score. And I live just down the road. Nora Gavin approached as they drew nearer the cutaway. She was taller than Cormac remembered, and dressed as he was, in jeans and wellingtons but no waterproofs. Her large blue eyes, dark hair, and milk-white skin exemplified the paradoxical features so common in Ireland. Occasionally, some word or inflection would hint at her Irish origins, but for the most part, Nora's accent betrayed the years she spent in the broad middle of America. Her hair was different, perhaps shorter than the last time they'd met, and drew Cormac's attention to the graceful line of her neck, something he'd not noticed before. Cormac, it's good to see you, she said, reaching out to take his hand. I'm realizing I must have driven the whole way like an absolute maniac, and I'm sorry to say I've been pestering these poor people with questions. I apologize for keeping you waiting, Cormac said. Good to see you as well. He turned to Devaney. The man who found the body, is he here? 
Brendan McGann, Devaney said, indicating the stocky man of about thirty who stood a few feet from him, leaning on the handle of a two-grain fork. The shaggy curls that framed McGann's face cast it into shadow. Apart from the reticent farmer, the mood of the group was expectant as Devaney introduced them. Declan Mullins, the young Garda officer, obviously fresh out of the academy at Temple Moor, had a slender neck and prominent ears, which lent him the air of an overgrown altar boy. The fair-haired woman in the denim jacket and Indian skirt, whom he guessed to be in her mid-twenties, was McGann's sister Una. Cormac was struck by her large, dark eyes, and the way her broad mouth turned up slightly at the corners. All right if I have a look, Cormac asked Brendan McGann, who said nothing but put his lips together and tipped his head to signal assent. Cormac climbed carefully into the hole with his sight bag, feeling the soggy turf spring like rubber under his weight. The cutaway was a space a couple of meters in length, but narrower than a man's arm span, large enough for one person to work comfortably enough, but extremely close quarters for two. He knelt and used his bare hands to scrape away the damp peat that had been replaced over the body. His breath came faster as he caught the first glimpse of finely preserved hair and skin, but he was unprepared for the wave of pity that struck him at the sight of an ear, as small and fragile as that of a child. He looked up to see Nora Gavin crouched at the very edge of the cutaway, captivated by the grisly image that had just emerged from the peat. Are you ready? Cormac asked. She nodded wordlessly, then climbed down into the cutaway beside him. First we have to determine the way the body is situated before we begin the complete exercise.